Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. How many, I'm assuming, how many received their email last night about our focused prayer? Praise the Lord. How many is enjoying this? I, I have some, somewhat some lists or, or, or sheets that I pray by, but this has changed the way I pray. I, I, this has been a, made a, a great impact on my life, and I am enjoying it. Uh, last night, you would have received the email, and there would be six bullet points that we will be praying on this week. And this morning, I don't want to take away from any of those because this throughout the week we'll be praying on them. But this morning, uh, I want us to focus on three. First, we're going to ask God to help us to recognize change and transformation are at our disposal. I'm going to say that again. Do you want to change? It's here. God is a life changer. And he can change us and he can transform us. And it's here. The ability to do that is with the Lord. Second, we're going to pray that the Lord would let us trust in him and to stand firm when discouragement and disillusionment cloud our understanding. How many ever get their mind cloudy? You know, sometimes uh, just life in general can cloud our minds so much so that our focus, uh, get the, the, the kingdom becomes unclear to us and we begin to lose focus on what is really important in life. And sometimes I think it's important for us to step back. We've all got responsibilities. We've all got things to do. We're all dealing with life. But sometimes I think it's very important for us to step back and look at what God is trying to do in our life and focus on the kingdom. Thirdly, we're going to pray that the Lord would help us to learn how to cast our cares on him and experience an abundant life. And this for me is probably the most difficult um, task for me to accomplish because I'm a, I'm a fixer. If something's wrong, I can fix it. And it's hard for me in the evenings after a day of work to, to come in and release it to the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to leave all this at the door and I want to spend these next few hours of my evening casting my cares. And I want to do a better job of learning how to do that. For the next few minutes, we're going to pray over these three. And again, I don't want us to disregard the other three that's on your email. And we'll focus on them in private prayer uh, throughout the week. But let's be intentional about asking God to help us. The word is very plain and clear when it says we have not because we ask not. And sometimes we think asking God for simple things is silly. 
But I, I think that the Lord wants us to ask him for help in areas that we need help in. So for the next few minutes, let's go to the Lord and let's just pray and ask him, Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to be in the house of the Lord this morning. God, I'm asking in my weakness. Lord, I'm asking in my shortcomings for you to help me, Lord. Help me to recognize that change and transformation lay at my fingertips, but I must reach out to you, Lord. I must extend myself to you, Lord. I must stretch forth my faith to you, Lord, to change. God, I'm asking you to help me today to stand firm. I know discouragement is coming. I know the cares of life will, will find their way into my home, but I'm asking you to help me to stand firm in faith, knowing that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. God, I ask you today to unclear my mind, clear my mind and help me to block out the distractions that come against me in this life. I'm asking you to help me focus on the things of the kingdom of God. I'm asking you to help me to blot out the things that may get in the way of what you are trying to do in my life and for me to cast my cares upon you. I know that we serve an able God who reaches far beyond and as that extended hand of grace and mercy reaches out, I'm asking today, God, that you give me the ability and the strength to reach back, to push forward, God, and to experience what you have for me in my life. We give you thanks today, Lord Jesus. We give you honor today, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy. You are worthy, and as the whole house begins to clap their hands in praise to the Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. One more announcement before you are seated. Our district men's conference will be April and men, don't be confused by this, April 5th, 6th, and 7th. You men say Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're going to have three days of fun. They've added an extra night, and I couldn't tell. You know, I've complained for a long time about the women getting to go down there and hang out and shop for three days. And now I get to go shop for three days. The deadline for that registration, and you'll need to see Brother Donnie about this, is March the 18th. If you're just going to stay Friday night in a motel, that's going to be $85. If you want to stay Thursday night and Friday night, that will be $145, and you'll see Brother Donnie about that. God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise the Lord, everybody. Aren't you thankful to be in church today, and what an opportunity God has given us, and uh, I pray that we'll take full advantage of this and ask the Spirit of God to help us this morning. Amen. We're going to be continuing our series in the Discipleship Project, and um, I trust that uh, you have been blessed by something that has been said in these, uh, in these series of services, and we pray that the Lord will help us today. This is the third in our series. Um, we're talking about making sense of suffering and it's a little bit hard to bring suffering sometimes into focus in our life and, and hard to think that it could be possible in any way, shape, form, or fashion to be a part of the will of God. And I would just like to reiterate today that every storm that uh, comes into the horizon of our life is not necessarily orchestrated by God, but we know that certainly God can take the storms of our life and he can work them for our good. I'm going to turn your attention today to the book of Exodus chapter 3. 
and we're gonna begin reading with verse seven uh, down through verse number 10. The Bible says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so that is the platform upon which the Lord is speaking these words. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And verse number nine, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. The cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Amen. And so the hand of the Lord, eyes of the Lord, the concern of the Lord is obviously here. He says, come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Amen. I'm gonna bring them out of Egypt. And so uh, we wanna talk about making sense of suffering and in the process of suffering our, our particular Bible lesson today is about longing for heaven. There's a song that just keeps, keeps resonating in my mind as I was studying and preparing for this lesson that the old song says heaven sounding sweeter all the time. And so when we read the headlines and the news um, events, certainly like the unfolding events, unfortunate events of this week, uh, we just understand that heaven sure sounds sweeter all the time. One of the founding fathers of Southern Gospel music was a man by the name of Eugene Bartlett Sr. Bartlett became well known as a music teacher and a, a vocal coach. He traveled the country far and wide teaching and training aspiring singers and musicians. His training and songwriting became extremely influential in the development of, in the, the, development of the evangelical church music. In 1939, at the young age of 54, Bartlett suffered a debilitating stroke and was bedridden for the final two years of his life. However, during this bleak season of time, he wrote one of the most beloved songs that we still sing in church today, a song entitled Victory in Jesus. Though he was unable to travel as he once did, Bartlett was inspired to write a song that didn't just point himself, but directed the attention of the saints of God to look for a day when, as one of the lines of the song says, some sweet day I'll sing up there a song of victory. And so we think sometimes when we sing these songs that this must have been written at the pinnacle of somebody's life and how well they were feeling and a moment of extreme revelation on top of the mountain of all things fine. But often when you unveil uh, the catalyst for many of the things that have blessed us, whether that's song or sermon, much of that has been born in the valley of sorrow. Suffering brings about, I think, a longing for heaven. I, I don't know about you, but I truly, uh, the longer I live, the more I wanna go to heaven. Amen, the more I, I wanna see that. And I wanna just insert something here. I, 
sometimes we wonder about these streets of gold and gates of pearl and things that the Bible describes and, and people want to know, is that real? I mean, is it real streets of gold? Is it real gates of pearl? And, and um, my answer to that would simply be this. I, I don't really know, but here's what I do think. I think that the Lord always exceeds our expectations. And so I think the Lord is just trying to describe something to us. It may be literal streets of gold. I have no idea, but if it's not, it'll be something better. It may not be a gate of pearl. If it's not that, if the Lord's just trying to convey something to that, it's gonna be something that exceeds that. Amen. Now the Hebrews wandered through the wilderness and while they wandered through the wilderness, their anticipation of a promised land motivated them. That was the push behind them. They knew they were headed to a place that was far beyond where they stood right then. And so they just continued to reach for the promises of God. Some in this building would remember the old song that says, every promise in the book is mine. And that was their motivation. That's what pushed them forward was the anticipation of a better day. It was for the children of Israel an unnecessarily long and painful experience. In truth, it was a distance that could have been covered in about 11 days, but it took Moses and the Israelites more than 40 years. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter one, verses six and a portion of verse seven, the Bible says, the Lord your God spake unto us in Horeb saying, ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn ye, he begins to say in verse number seven, turn ye. It was time to get out of the rut of routine and move into the promise. But sometimes we have to walk, God has to walk us in circles many times. Please don't leave me alone in this. God has to walk us in circles many times until we get our faith where it needs to be and we desire change. You will never change until you desire change. And sometimes the suffering of this world makes us look for a brighter day and a better thing and I, I'm thankful for that. So in that regard, in that regard, suffering can help us get our eyes off today into a better day. The, the children of Israel's lack of faith delayed them from obtaining what God had promised to them generations before then. In the book of Exodus chapter three and verse number eight, he said, I am come down, this is part of our text, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. This was the promise. This was the promise. But rather than responding in faith, they reacted in fear. And before we charge them, we have all been guilty of the same thing. God has made us specific promises and it would seem as though when we would reach out in faith and possess that, that often we respond in fear. They wanted to choose a new leader. We need somebody besides Moses. We need somebody to take us back to Egypt. It's all in your Bible. And so if we are, if, you, if you're reading the, uh, the, if you're starting the new year reading through the word of God again, I know that's the habit of many, then you have perhaps already read much of this. How that, how that they're scarcely out of Egypt's land before they're trying to find somebody that can take them back. Eventually the Israelites did enter the promised land but it was only after the death of all the males except for Joshua and Caleb. The first generation did not receive the promise of the Lord because they longed for Egypt. They didn't receive the promise of the future because they were too caught up 
in, in the past. They wanted to be back where they had been before. Give us the leeks, the onions. Give us what we had in Egypt. Let us go back there. But the second generation, although they were not perfect, the second generation, they focused on the future. And so sometimes our suffering here can motivate us to long for heaven and deliverance from this world. I don't know about you, but if you, if you uh, listen to very much of the news, it, it, after a while, I just have to turn it off. Not because I'm in denial. I, I don't wanna in, imply that, but at some point, I just have to turn that off and think, oh my Lord, my, my Lord, I, I'm ready for the trumpet to sound. I'm ready to get out of this world and make heaven my home. Paul found himself locked up in prison and he hoped that whether he lived or died, that Christ would be magnified. He didn't lose the focus of the kingdom's purpose, not at all. If the decision were up to him, I think Paul was pretty, pretty transparent. We don't really know how to reconcile some of this in our mind at times. I think Paul left us with more than an impression that if it were up to him, that he wouldn't really know what to do. He wrote in the book of Philippians, for I am in a strait betwixt two. I don't know what to do. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Writing to the Philippian church, he said, if I had my way, I'm gonna put it in our language, if I had my way, I could just get out of here and go be with the Lord. But really, it's more beneficial for you that I stay here. Amen. There were similarities, a lot of similarities between the, the experience of Moses as he tried to get the Israelites to the promised land and also the experiences of the apostle Paul as he wrestled with false doctrine, as he dealt with and confronted immorality, as he confronted division in the first century church. I mean, Paul uh, had a lot on his hands and those disciples that were working with him when he wrote to the Philippian church, some were motivated by envy and strife and their preaching. It's right there in the scripture. Some, they were preaching the gospel, but their motivation for preaching was wrong. Others were motivated by goodwill. The first group were made up of people that were selfish. They were insincere. They attempted to, think, to make things more difficult for Paul even when he was in prison. Now, these were people that should have been on his side, but they were making it more difficult even while he was in prison. The second group was made up of, of people that were loving and supportive and they were praying for the apostle Paul. And uh, it would be natural to think that Paul would want to shut down the preaching of those whose motives were wrong. It would be... It would be reasonable in our way of thinking that, that Paul would be trying to somehow figure out how to lock those doors or close, that, close the doors off to their ministry, but that was not the case. As odd as it may sound, Paul understood this, whether their preaching is sincere or not, what they're preaching is the truth. Amen. And so before we just throw rocks at everything that comes along, we need to understand that some gospel seed is being sown. And we pray that the Holy Ghost will lead and guide. We know that he will lead and guide people into all truth. And so I am thankful for, I'm not talking about divisions and things of that nature, but I want to be able to be focused even in times of suffering to realize as the apostle Paul said, well, at least the word of God is getting out. Amen. Paul rejoiced that at least Christ is being proclaimed. He knew that the prayers of the saints 
would, would be a, a great catalyst in affecting his deliverance and he certainly felt sure that he was not going to die at that particular time. He was going to live long enough to at least see a little bit of the spiritual progress of the church. Nevertheless, I think Paul also lets us in on the other side. He lets it peek, he gives us a peek into the other side of his heart where he would not have minded dying. Now, I don't wanna sound morbid, but I have met people in their lives because of certain things they were going through when, when death just seemed imminent. They were completely comfortable with that. Amen. I'm talking about people who know where they are with God I've, I've held the hands of more than one person that said, if he don't heal me here, he will heal me there. Amen. And they were that confident of that. They weren't just saying that so that it would fit in well in some testimony service or something of that nature. My wife has an aunt uh, that she lost not all that long ago, and that was her testimony. She suffered with excruciating pain uh, from physical illness in her life, and that was her testimony. If the, the Lord, I know he can heal me, but if he doesn't heal me here, then he will heal me there. Amen. In, in Paul's mind, if I, if I am here, I'm gonna preach the gospel and I'll be a benefit to the church. But if I die, I'm gonna be with Christ. Amen. That longing for heaven, that longing for heaven. Paul's letter informs us that, uh, that we've gotta continue to embrace at all times the purpose of God in our lives until it's time for us to enter into the, into the presence of the Lord by way of death, then I wanna work I want, as the scripture says, occupy until he comes. I don't want to reach some place where we just kind of plateau off and settle in for the long haul, but I want to occupy intently until he comes. Amen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in the presence of God. Amen, but, but the general teaching of scripture is that we should focus on life rather than death. And I certainly want to be clear in that. I, I don't want to uh, leave anybody with the wrong impression. I think scripture validates that our focus should be on life. I mean, it's only while we're here on the earth that we can fulfill the great commission. Amen, and so that's why we're here. We're not just here to be here. We're not just here because uh, of who we are, but we are here to fulfill the great commission. And so that's very, very important. And yet, at the same time, while we're fulfilling the great commission of the Lord, there's a longing, as one song says, for heaven's sweet shore. Amen, there's a longing, there's a longing for that. Paul knew for him it would be better to die in some instances and enter into the presence of the Lord. But he, on the other hand, it would have been better for the Philippians if he stayed. Now, how unselfish was that? Paul was confident, if I leave here, I'm gonna be with Christ. But it is more beneficial for you if I am here with you. And so I, I, I admire that. And so even in, in this present world, I believe that we must live with eternity's values in, in view, not just living for ourselves, not just for the here and now, but what is the greater good of the kingdom of God. If I can make a difference, if I can serve in any capacity, then that's what I want to do. Paul said in another writing, he said that we should set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. We're not, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. 
amen, we ought to strike up the band, hadn't we? This world is not our home, we're just passing through. And so because of our belief in the rapture of the church and because we know that this is not all there is, some wrongfully declare that Christianity or those that are Christians are just a part of an escapist type religion. In other words, we can just kind of live in this pretend world that we're gonna escape out of all the pain and sorrow. But I can tell you that the word of God and living for the Lord is anything but, a, a, but an escapist mindset. Nothing could be further from the truth. We can be sure that Jesus' prayers were based upon what was good and what was true. He said this in the book of John chapter 17 and verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That doesn't sound escapist to me. Amen. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the pain or the peril, but I'm just asking you to keep them. I'm asking you to keep them. Amen. The scripture says, order my steps in, thy, in your word. Amen, order thy steps in your word. And then the scripture goes on to say, to keep us from the iniquity, keep, guard my heart against the iniquity of this world, keep us. Amen, we talk about the prayer of Jabez a lot of times and how he prays a prayer of blessing and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I've often said that the most important part of the prayer of Jabez is in his conclusions concluding statement and that is to keep me from the evil that is in this world, preserve us. And so the Lord said don't take them out of the world but keep them from the evil of the world. He wasn't praying for our escape. We have no thought of escaping from uh, the world to try to avoid misery because we know that there is a joy that comes to those who wait in eternity. Amen, we know that. So why would we want to escape from this life? Amen, I, I will tell you, and again, I don't wanna sound morbid, but death is a reality for all of us. It is appointed unto man once to die. I, I'm not trying to make us uncomfortable today, but death is a reality for the believer, and it's a reality for the unbeliever. Jesus said in John 5 and 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Verse number 29, the Bible says, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now this is a very powerful passage of scripture. Amen, we need to understand that there's going to be a coming forth, a coming forth. And so as believers, we don't want to escape but we do long to see the Lord. I long to see him. I'm not alone here today. I long to see him. That is the blessed hope of the church. As I mentioned the song a moment ago, heaven sounding sweeter all the time. Brand that in your mind. Hide that in your heart. And the next time some uh, news headline just robs us of our joy and victory for the day and, and kind of steals the wind out of our cell, that ought, to be, that ought to be our answer. Well, heaven is sounding sweeter all the time. The darker it gets here on this earth, amen, the more valuable heaven seems to be in my heart and mind. Today, some people would like to take away or devalue 
the Old Testament. They see no real value as it relates to the church today. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. But I believe there's great value that is in the pages of the Old Testament. Amen, there are types and shadows and principles and, and things that the New Testament the New Testament didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. The New, the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. Israel's story is written in the Old Testament to help us learn how to have hope for a better future. They are given to us, the scripture says, as in samples. I mean, we are looking at other lives and we can mimic them, we can, uh, we can emulate them, not mimic as in parroting them, but we can emulate them and understand that other people have walked this way, they have walked this path. The Bible says in Romans 15 and four, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. I think it's very important to understand the phrase in Romans 15 and four, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, aforetime. That is referring to the Old Testament. Amen, those things that were written aforetime. Amen, they were given to us and so rightly understood. I believe these passages give us patience, they help us develop a comfort, amen, they solidify hope in our lives, and so we go back and we study their lives, we watch how they walk, we watch how they live, we look at them when they're high, we look at them when they are low, we read about them and rejoice with them in their successes, and we also watch them in their totally revealed failures and how they pick themselves up and begin to march on. I will tell you today that many of the Old Testament characters that are listed as heroes in the book of uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, if you study their lives, you will understand that there are scars in every one of those patriarchs' lives. There are deep wounds and sometimes awful mistakes, but God took them. And so when I realized that God can take something and make something from nothing, that gives me extreme hope. Amen, that gives me extreme hope. Amen, because I don't wake up every day with just this uh, boatload of confidence that I, with my own ability and power, am gonna be able to make it. But I wake up with an assurance that God is gonna sustain me Order my steps in your word. I wake up and I try, amen, to daily say, Lord, this word, I need it to be a lamp under my feet today. I need you to illuminate where I am. I want your word to shine and be a light into my future, but I'm not in my future. I'm not in my tomorrow. It's not Monday yet. It's not Tuesday yet. As a matter of fact, it's not even noon yet, but I am standing in the present, so let your word illuminate where I am here and now, <laughs> hallelujah. But I am so thankful that his word his does not just illuminate this moment that we're standing in, but his word today is projecting down to the future. And I'm gonna tell you that heaven is sounding sweeter with every passing day, heaven is sounding sweeter. Amen, I love him, don't you love him? Praise God, praise God. 
Israel experienced, the children of Israel experienced their experience uh, in their journey uh, was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of suffering that was involved in their walk. And not all of it was due to their, their unbelief. Not all of it was due to their disobedience. Their deliverance from slavery, slavery in Egypt was due to their cry for deliverance. Our text, he said, I heard their cry. And I saw, I, I could measure their sorrow. I could see where they were. I heard them. Amen. And so they, and, and the Lord was moved with compassion. Uh, you don't have to stand up and run around the building. You only have to raise your hand. I won't even ask you to sit and look guilty. But we've all been to that place where if the Lord had not tightened the screws of life down so much. And it's strange. We would really like to think it was really not true. We would really like to think that the Lord would not have to put that kind of pressure on us to get us to be that open and honest with him in our relationship, but sometimes it's the pressures of life that help us to realize that I can't do anything about this. <clears throat> Pardon me for repeating myself, but, but I remember many years ago facing a, a mountain that was, was uncrossable and, and just for human, uh, in human a way of looking at that. And I remember thinking when it first happened, like most all of us think, I can fix this. wasn't very long into that journey, an overwhelming feeling of helplessness came over me because I came to the realization that I can't fix this. And the next leg of that journey was a peace and a comfort that came over me because I can't fix this. Because I can't fix it, I put it in the hands of the one who could. And he had to wrestle that out of my hand and I'm not just trying to be too transparent because we've all been right there where the Lord just kind of had to wrestle something out of our hand. And, amen. So um, among the false doctrines of the, uh, the first century, among many of those false doctrines was the denial of the resurrection of the dead. Paul spent nearly 50 verses dealing with this heresy in his first letter to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 12, he, he asked, he posed a question, a very pointed question. He said, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Where, where did this fallacy come from? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then here's what you have to consider. If there's no resurrection, here are the consequences. Christ is not raised. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is empty. Paul was a false witness. Our sins are not forgiven. And everyone who died before us have not died eternally preserved, but they are perished. It's all for nothing. But if Christ be raised, many more will be raised. The promise of the resurrection that means that death has no sting and because death, because death is swallowed up in victory and so there is hope. I mean, there's, there's no life at all if there's no resurrection. All of this has been devalued, all of this has been voided. The resurrection of the dead is not merely some kind of, uh, of, of, of strange ghostly existence beyond the grave, but our resurrection from the dead is a bodily resurrection. I want you to consider the words of Jesus when he appeared to his disciples at his resurrection. He said this in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 39. He said, behold my hands 
and my feet that it is I myself. He said this, handle me. Touch me. Handle me. Amen. Handle me, he said, and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Now, nothing in this context suggests that the resurrected body is a spirit. In the resurrection, our bodies are gonna be changed from being corruptible and mortal to incorruptible and immortal, amen. But they will still be bodies because spirits are not bodies. Spirits cannot be handled. Spirits do not have flesh and bone nor feet, amen. And I'm thankful today that we're gonna be together I'm glad today that we're gonna know even as we are known. I'm thankful that heaven is gonna be a place, amen, that's gonna be a reality. It's not just gonna be something we sing about, preach about, teach about, talk about, amen. And so sometimes, sometimes it is the sufferings of life that help us rearrange and focus our priorities, what's really important. I'm gonna tell you, I've never met anybody that was standing at the threshold of death that was worried about what the stock market was doing. They're not trying to get online and figure out what the price of gasoline is. They're not worried about that. That's not their priority. Suffering, circumstances that bring us to those brinks often focus on what's right and what's most important in our life. I'm gonna close here. C.S. Lewis in his book, entitled The Problem of Pain. He wrote this. He said, pain insists, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but God shouts to us in our pain. Pain is a megaphone to rise and rouse a deaf world. This biblical idea, this is a biblical idea. God can get our attention oftentimes in pain. Amen, yes he can. He can get our attention. When suffering is a result of our disobedience, God, I believe, intends to contribute to our spiritual growth. He doesn't take us there to watch us suffer, but he says, I want you to grow. I wanna show you something. I wanna teach you something. And so for this to happen, we cannot be discouraged by suffering. Instead, we need to recognize that suffering is an indication of God's love for us. It means that we're his children. It means that if we respond positively to it, then we're gonna experience spiritual life and share his holiness and righteousness. I'm gonna ask you to stand, if you will. You see, to some extent, what we call heaven is just gonna be a return to an ideal existence of what we read about in Genesis 1, a place called Eden. Eden was just paradise. It was a place where man could enjoy intimate and regular fellowship with God. It's interesting how that Eden, which has such a high profile in the beginning of Scripture, has an equally significant focus at the end of Scripture. However, there is one thing that is not found in this new Eden. There is no tree of knowledge of good and evil the suffering that we experience, the the life's journeys that we take and the pitfalls and the valleys that we walk through between these two Edens was due to the bad choices not only of Adam and Eve but also the bad choices of descendants that followed them. It's brought us where we are today. 
But once we arrive in that new Eden, there is no need to fear. No tree there that produces death. There's just the tree of life. Aren't you thankful for the hand of God? And so today, I don't want to underestimate or underscore or soft soap, perhaps, what you may be going through. But can I tell you that God can use suffering to help us change our priorities and help us to realize that this world is not my home. (laughs) We're just passing through. We're just passing through. And so whatever we go through today, Paul said, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Aren't you thankful for the promises of God that hold us? Amen. May the Lord bless you. Why don't we lift our hands and ask God to just seal this word in our heart here today. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.